0: Regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. It's one of those days where um, uh, there's so much going on. (laughs) And by the time you actually watch this, there is a chance. I won't predict how good a chance it is, but there is a chance that a judge in Effingham County, uh, Illinois, will have uh, granted a restraining order against enforcement of the state's new ban on so-called assault weapons and large-capacity magazines. Uh, As we reported at Bearing Arms uh, this morning, there are multiple lawsuits now filed uh, in Illinois. More to come, by the way, but the uh, first hearing held in Effingham County on a uh, complaint that alleges the way this gun and magazine ban was approved by the uh, legislature violated Uh, State statute, basically, uh, the legislature is required to uh, uh, follow single subject uh, rules in lame duck sessions and the uh, plaintiff's attorneys in this case arguing in Everton County that uh, that did not take place, that in essence, a bill that was originally about insurance was a stripped uh, and then the uh, gun ban and magazine ban language was put in place. Um, Again, we'll see. How well that argument goes uh, in Evanham County, but uh, that is just one of several lawsuits underway. We were following them all at Bearing Arms uh, on the program today. However, well, we're going to be talking about um, pending legislation—stuff that is not yet law but is likely to become law—in uh, another blue state, where, unfortunately, anti-gun Democrats gained seats in the legislature back in November. That's the state of Maryland, and on Tuesday, a Senate panel. Uh, heard testimony about how the Bruin decision, uh, which struck down New York's May issue carry laws, will impact Maryland's gun control laws going forward, not just with the right to carry, although that was a big topic of the conversation, Uh, but with the state's ban on so-called assault weapons being challenged in court as well. uh, Lawmakers wanted to hear from... uh, Well, I don't know if Democrats wanted to hear from gun owners, (laughs) but they did get an invite... Um, yeah, the Maryland State Police, uh, interestingly enough, telling this Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee that it has approved 80,000 concealed carry permits since the Bruin decision was handed down. And Ma- then Governor Larry Hogan directed the state police to remove the justifiable need requirement Um by contrast they say the average annual permit approvals for the years prior to Bruin was between 13,000 and 14,000 meaning that the Maryland State Police has been uh quote handling uh every month what had been about a year supply of permit approvals. Now think about that for a second. The pent-up demand to exercise this fundamental right that this represents, right? 14,000 concealed carry permits per month now since the Bruin decision, and for a lot of Maryland residents, it's still not that easy to get the training that's necessary. There are long wait times. There aren't a lot of ranges in the state of Maryland where you can go and you can get the uh, in-person training that is required under the law. So the state of Maryland still doesn't make it an easy thing for you to exercise your right to either keep or bear arms, quite frankly, because you have to get what's called a handgun qualification license before you can even possess a handgun in the state. Yet another law, by the way, that is uh, constitutionally questionable uh, in light of the Bruin decision. Um, Now, at Tuesday's hearing, uh, Mark Pinnock from Maryland uh, Maryland Shall Issue uh, was among those testifying. And uh, he warned them, legislators, uh, not to uh, repeat the mistakes that we've seen in places like New Jersey, New York, uh, where, you know, you've really just seen this. Tantrum, I think it was the word that uh, the gun owner actually, Jim Wallace, uh, used uh, on yesterday's program. This temper this tantrum, tantrum in response to the Supreme Court's decision saying, yeah, the right to bear arms is just as fundamental and real as the right to keep arms. And you can't violate that either. Uh, Pinnock, in written testimony, uh, criticized a bill we've talked about at Bearing Arms, uh, introduced by uh, Senator Jeff Waldstreicher of Montgomery County. Uh, which would ban gun possession within 100 feet of places of public accommodation, which is basically anywhere the public might gather. Uh, Retail stores, restaurants, churches, parks, libraries, hospitals. Uh, Pinnick, in his testimony, said that the Supreme Court has been, quote, quite specific that there are only five sensitive places where gun possession can be banned. Legislative assemblies, polling places, courthouses, schools, and government buildings. So once you go beyond that five, you're going to have to find an historic analog. And that there are no historic analogs, To banning gun possession in places like restaurants, houses of worship, parks, libraries, and hospitals. Yeah, you know, so it is true that the Supreme Court did not say that that list was exhaustive, right? Uh, They enumerated, I think, just a a couple of places, actually. Not even all government buildings, but the legislative assemblies, uh, courthouses, and uh, polling places, I believe, are the three that were mentioned specifically by Justice Thomas in the Bruin decision. Um. But while Thomas said, look, we're not trying to provide a a comprehensive list of every place where guns can be banned. When you look at the historic record, what you see is that these bans, these sensitive places were very much the exception and not the rule. And that was the point that Clarence Thomas was trying to make in the Bruin decision, that the number of places where you could lawfully ban the possession of firearms are in actuality few and far between which is the exact opposite stance that you know uh uh senator uh, Waldstriker has taken actually Montgomery County Maryland has already approved a an ordinance that is very similar uh to the uh, one that is proposed at a state level uh, by uh, Waldstriker um, senator uh, William Will Smith also of Montgomery chair of the uh, panel that heard testimony on Tuesday uh, question whether laws banning gun possession in public parks would violate the Second Amendment and be susceptible to legal challenges, and Mark Pennick said, yeah, they do, and I'll bring those legal challenges, um, which is good to hear. Uh, however, there were gun control advocates who were uh, testifying as well. Sam Levy, counsel for Town for Gun Safety, uh, told the Senate committee that the Supreme Court in Bruin left open the question of whether and what other places may be statutorily marked as gun-free zones based on historical analogs without violating the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Levy said that he anticipates it'll take an, uh, quote, uneasy five years at least before the courts decide where gun possession may be banned. He said it is a wrongly decided case, speaking of Bruit. But he added it is the law of the land now. The upshot is going to be more guns in more public places. Well, it's only wrongly decided if you think the Second Amendment is meaningless. Or maybe the Bill of Rights. Or maybe the entire Constitution. But if you do believe that the Bill of Rights protects important fundamental freedoms that we possess as American citizens, then no. The Bruin decision was not wrongly decided because the May issue laws that were struck down by Bruin deprived the vast majority of average Americans from exercising that fundamental right. Now, I do think Levy's right that it is going to take some time for all of this to shake out. Five years, Um, I I think we'll have a lot of additional case law uh, on the books, and I predict that the vast majority of which is going to be favorable to uh, gun owners and Second Amendment supporters uh, over the next five years. But, you know, the fight, quite honestly, is never going to stop as long as you have people intent on trying to infringe on a fundamental right. The courts are going to continue to be asked to weigh in as long as the infringements are happening here. Now, the gun control lobby ever decided, you know, what we've lost, uh, trying to ban our way to safety or trying to disarm the American public, just isn't going to work. Maybe let's shift our attention to fully uh, supporting things like, you know, gun violence prevention programs that don't involve putting new laws on the books that focus on the most violent offenders. But that day isn't here yet. And I don't know if that day, honestly, will ever come. So in the meantime, yes, we are going to continue to have to defend our right to keep and bear arms from those egregious and unconstitutional attacks. Uh, And Maryland, unfortunately, is likely to be one of those places this year uh, with the uh, sweeping bans on concealed carry that we've seen in places like New Jersey and New York. Uh, Assault weapon bans like the ones that we've seen in Illinois. We might even see uh, the state of Maryland try to. They've already got one in place. In fact, it's being challenged at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals right now, but they could go back and try to expand their gun ban, just as uh, uh, Democrats in Massachusetts are talking about doing by redefining assault weapon to mean all semi-automatic rifles and shotguns, right? So keep your eyes on what's going on in Maryland. If you are a Maryland gun owner, I would obviously encourage you to support groups like Maryland Shall Issue uh, as well as national two-way groups. This is a supercharged moment for the Second Amendment. And the more of us, look, we can't all be named plaintiffs, as fun as that might be, uh, but we can all lend our support, including, you know, opening up our wallet and kicking in a couple of bucks to these lawsuits whenever we can in order to protect our rights. Because what happens in Maryland, what happens in New York, what happens in New Jersey or in Illinois doesn't just impact gun owners in in those states, right? The legislation. Once becomes law, is often replicated in other states around the country. And, of course, uh, if these unconstitutional infringements are allowed to stand in these blue states, well, <clears throat> you never know my, what might happen in red states in the future, right? All right, let's turn our attention now to uh, today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. In fact, we'll start with a, a story. I don't know if any of these – see, nobody's been arrested here. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say at least one of these guys responsible for this crime probably does have a record here hell's kitchen a uh, smoke shop worker shot when at least five men tried to rob the store now of course retail establishments uh in new york uh, and hell's kitchen might be close enough to uh, Times square that this would be an official gun-free zone not allowed to carry a firearm for self-defense so this was one of new york's gun-free zones now that the criminals seem to care uh, early this morning, just after midnight, five men trying to rob the shop located on 9th Avenue between 48th and 49th Streets. There was a worker inside the shop who tried to kick out the men. That dispute then spilled out on the street. Police say uh, one of them had pulled out a gun, shot the worker in the leg. Uh, then the suspects all took off, several of them on scooters. The 32-year-old employee taken to a, a local hospital uh, in non-life-threatening, uh, with non-life-threatening injuries, thankfully. Uh, police say they're now reviewing the security cameras outside the stores may have caught the incident. But again, no arrests made at this time, and thanks to New York's egregiously unconstitutional carry laws, no ability for retail workers in smoke shops in Manhattan or uh, you know near Times Square to actually protect and defend themselves against violent criminals who, strangely, don't seem to care that they're violating New York's carry laws. Uh, today's defensive gun use, our armed citizen story. You know, again, this is something that's been coming up quite a bit, right? Uh, uh, Shouldn't we have laws on the books that make it illegal for juveniles to access firearms in the home? Uh, We saw that incident in uh, Virginia last week where a six-year-old gained access to a gun, brought it to school. Apparently, the school was alerted that the child might have a gun. They searched the backpack, didn't find it, didn't search the student. student ends up pulling the gun out of his waistband and then shoots his teacher. And so in Virginia, there's a lot of talk. I mean, that's where I live. So I, I know there's a lot of talk right now about, well, what can we do to stop this from happening? As if there is some law that you can put in place that's magically uh, going to improve the parenting uh, uh, or, or frankly, the uh, uh, decision-making in the schools uh, when it comes to responding to reports of a gun on campus, right? Now, instead, they're looking at, you know, storage laws. Uh, what can we do to increase the penalty if a juvenile gains access to a firearm? I'll be honest with you. Does a six year old need access to a firearm? No. But should it be up to the parent to decide when juveniles in their home do have access to firearms? Once you get to a certain age, whether it's, you know, what, what, do you, what, 10, 11, 12? I think the answer is yeah. And unfortunately, these storage laws are generally written in a way that if any minor accesses a firearm, then the adult in the house has committed a crime. And the problem with that is that sometimes you have stories like this. Teen stops home invasion with mother's handgun. So should the mom be charged here? What do you think? Case out of Montville, Ohio where a a teenager, Braden Jarrett, says he was home from school last Tuesday. And he was just looking out the living room window when he noticed a car parked sideways in his driveway. And he said uh, it was there in the driveway for a little bit. He said, I walked into our kitchen because we have a window in the kitchen. I looked out and I saw the dude and I've never seen this dude in my life. So Jarrett, 16 years old, um, knew that his mom kept a firearm. In the house, nine-millimeter handgun, and he knew where it was. He says he was familiar with firearms, grown up around him. He said uh, my mom had a gun. I knew it. I grew up with guns. I knew about the safety. I knew where the gun was and everything. Um, Ashley Jarrett, Braden's mom, says my gun's unloaded. Clip is next to it. He knows where it's at, so he grabbed it and he held onto both pieces and he stood in the living room doorway. Uh, Braden Jarrett says he stood there watching the door heard the outside screen door open and he knew that if it was, you know, an Amazon driver or somebody dropping off a package that they would then shut that storm door and they would leave. That's not what happened. Instead, they started opening the inside door and that's when Braden Jarrett says he loaded the gun. He says, I didn't say anything, but when I cocked the gun back and pointed it at the door, he said, oh bleep. And then he ran. Uh, Braden immediately called his mom at work she said, uh, when he called me, he asked questions like, did you have anybody coming over? Were you expecting any pack- packages? And then he said, well, I think somebody tried to break in, and I had to pull your gun. Now, what's amazing about this story is that an arrest was actually made. Um, Braden says the car drove past the house again. His mom ended up posting about the break-in on social media, and the neighbors helped to identify the car. The uh, Guga, Guga Goya County Sheriff's Office uh, was able to pick out a suspect out of a photo lineup. And uh, the sheriff's office has now charged Zachary Stutzman of Hartsgrove, Ohio, with burglary. Uh, Actually, Jarrett says she knows Stutzman as a friend on social media. So they might have mutual acquaintances in real life, but she's not ever really met him before. She thinks she may have, he may have used her post to try to learn her routine. And knowing that she was out of the house, thinking that her son was at school, aha, easy and inviting target, right? But they were only into the second day of a new routine for her son, and uh, generally, he would not have been in the house, but he was that day. Uh, Ashley Jarrett's now cautioning people about what they post on social media. She says, you know, anybody can see your schedule. If you're just posting that you're at your place of business or you're posting you're out and about and someone who's mostly alone leaves you open for vulnerability, and it gives somebody a key into your life. Uh, Ashley Jarrett, by the way, says that um, she is grateful to have a teenage son who not only can protect himself, but can protect her as well. She said, I have more anxiety about this than he does for sure. She said, I lined up the school, told him to set up a counseling meeting if he needed it. And his exact words were, I'm not afraid of guns. All I had to do was pick up a gun and aim it. I didn't have to use it. Braden Jarrett says, I didn't want to pull the trigger on that guy. He said, that would have been a whole different situation. But when I knew when it first happened, I had to stay calm. He did. And thankfully, like the vast majority of defensive gun uses in this country, the presence of that firearm was enough to convince uh, the suspect that he had somewhere he needed to be very quickly. So again, should Ashley Jarrett be facing charges? I would say no. But gun control activists would say yes, that Braden Jarrett should not have been able to get a hold of his mom's gun. That he should have called 911, he should have maybe tried to run out the back door, uh, but he should not have been able to access that nine millimeter handgun. He should not have known how to safely and responsibly load it. He should not have been able to have access to that gun according to them, and Ashley Jarrett should be facing charges in their view. See, I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think we can look at a situation and say, yeah, should a six-year-old have been able to access a fireman and bring it to school? No. Is there some sort of charge that might be appropriate for the mom? Yeah. But maybe it doesn't involve a firearm. Maybe it's not a safe storage law violation. Maybe it's, I don't know, child endangerment. Maybe it's uh, neglect of a child. Right? Because if the six-year-old had brought a really sharp butcher knife to school and had stabbed the teacher instead of shot her, That still would be bad, right? I mean, we still would be talking about how terrible a situation this would have been. So maybe the answer, again, is to look at the parent, to look at the child, to look at the totality of the situation rather than simply try to apply a one size fits all rule that could very well end up putting some juveniles at risk. All right, today's uh, good deed of the day in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A, A Good Samaritan in Georgia who helped find a missing 10-year-old child who had uh, run away and uh, helped to reunite him with his mom. Uh, this is the uh, image when mom and son were reunited. And I got to tell you, this is such a uh, – I feel so bad for this 10-year-old child. His father apparently had just passed away, was not dealing with it. Uh, mom was trying to take him to a, a children's hospital there in Atlanta. Uh, don't know if this was for unrelated medical care. Don't know if this was for – you know, uh mental health uh help or emotional health help, but for whatever reason, the uh ten-year-old named Mario Boyd ended up running away uh out of the car as they got close to the hospital. Uh Mario's mother, Jenrica Boyd, said I was I was really just out of it. I didn't know what was going to happen or if I was even gonna see my child again. So, you know, she alerts police, she's on social media, she's posting pictures, help me if you can. And about 15 hours after Mario Boyd ran away, she heard from somebody on social media um, saying, listen, I found him and I'm taking him to the hospital. And uh, she was able to reunite with her son there. She said, I didn't do nothing, but was kissing him and telling him how happy I was, that he was okay." Um, According to WSB in Atlanta, family members, again, say that Mario was going through a crisis because his father had recently died. Family says he was barefoot when he ran away, uh, but Chandra Boyd says the uh, Good Samaritan um, quote dressed him, let him stay at uh, home for a little bit, clothed him, and then uh, again took him to that local hospital where he can get the help that he needs. Chandra Boyd says I want to tell him thank you, and I appreciate you helping us out. And that really is, you know, going above and beyond in the right place at the right time, willing and able to help out a child in need. So whoever this anonymous Good Samaritan is. We thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barion Arms Cam and Company. I will encourage you again, check out barionarms.com throughout the day, because there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of moving parts right now, a lot of court hearings. We could get uh, some good des- a good decision out of Illinois, uh, and there's a lot more on tap as well. So we'll see you on the website. If you like what you see, I always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to barionarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code gunrights. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive news stories and commentary you won't get anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll be back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam & Company. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.